Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. This year's Candy Box is happening July 12th through the 16th at Pika Event Center. Happy Hour Artists, Badi Watani, Borealis Dance Theater, Annika Hansen and Abigail Whitmore, Honeyworks, Slow Dance Company, and featured artists Hijack, Viva La Peppa, and Judy Shui Xian. Tickets are on sale at arenadances.org. Today we are chatting with Laura Osterhouse Rosenstone of Slow Dance Company. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Matthew. I'm really happy to be here chatting with you. It's really awesome to have you, and thanks for joining us today. I'm uh, sure happy you are you are happy. It's summer. Um, I think a little respite maybe from your Master of Fine Arts that you're seeking at the Smith College. Yes, definitely. College. Yeah. Crazy, I'm sure, amount of work, especially with COVID last year. Can you yes, imagine? not exactly what I thought my grad program experience would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, before we begin, I must also tell you uh, my first experience seeing you dance was at the University of Minnesota performing with UDT. And I was blown away by your performance, technique, length, flexibility, and presence on stage. Um, and I'm just so happy to be getting to talk with you today and thrilled you're sharing your work uh, at Candy Box as a happy hour artist. Thank you so much. So kind of you. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it was like, oh, and then now she's with Xenon. Great. <laughs> you know, yeah. swooped up quickly. Yes. <laughs> um, well, can you share a little glimpse of your beginnings in dance? I would love to. Um, so I grew up in small, small town Iowa. And um, I was just always moving. And music was a big part of my childhood. My parents were not musical people themselves, but music was just always playing in our house and I really never stopped moving to it. And so my mom had the idea of enrolling me in dance classes. And from then on, I kind of jumped around to a few studios in Iowa and really immediately took to it. I, I loved it. And um, it took a while to kind of find a good fit. There's not, or at the time there wasn't a ton of dance happening in my rural area so we landed um, eventually a few years later at a studio in Davenport, Iowa, and my mom, bless her, would drive 45 minutes one way to take me to dance class three times a week. Oh my and gosh. yeah, the commitment. I'm kind of like, I don't know how or why they did that. <laughs> um, but I'm glad that I had that opportunity and just really loved and kind of flourished as a person through movement and dance. And I was also pretty serious about sports, though I played a sport every season up until high school. And um, there came a time when dance was becoming more and more demanding as I was more and more invested in it. And so I kind of had to choose dance or sports. And I, I don't know how old I was. I think I was probably 16 or 17. But I, I had this forethought of like, if I'm going to really pursue a dance career, that needs to become the focus. And so I dropped most of the sports and I stuck with dance and 
eventually decided to study dance for undergrad at the University of Minnesota in the Twin Cities and landed here and really loved and kind of flourished through that program. Um, It was hard. At first, I really thought I was in the wrong place because modern dance was not something I had experienced before coming to college. So that was, that really kind of threw me for a loop. I came very close to leaving the program, but I stuck with it. And I'm so thankful that I did. It's, I mean, it's just a really expansive program that really opened my eyes to what dance can be and how it kind of plays a role in our humanness and, Um, from then I networked a little bit and, uh, made my way into Xenon Dance Company after graduating, um, which was such a delight and danced for them for their final three years, um, of operation. And I also at the same time was making work with a creative trio that I'm a part of with Emma Marler and Layla Awadala. Um, we call ourselves Kelvin Whaley and the three of us were collaborating, making work together, but I also just kind of had this long end goal dream of having my own dance company and felt that felt really ignited in me in my experiences with Xenon as well. So I started making work and kind of dreamt up this, dreamt up the idea of slow dance company. And I really thought that I would have like maybe five more years with Xenon to kind of let slow dance kind of like fester in the background as I was Mm. continuing to perform and growing my understanding of dance and performance um, when Xenon abruptly ended. And that's when I really was like, what is my relationship to dance without Xenon? And I realized how much I had defined my dancing through that company and that work and um, was a little thrown off for about a year, but I was teaching at the St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Arts and finding a lot of affirmation in the students there. And then really by happenstance, I'm usually very, very much a calculated person that has a lot of Mm -hmm. plans and like three-year plans, five-year plans. And I happened to go to a dance intensive in January of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. Um, And I met this woman named Erin Cowie, and she just spoke so highly of the grad program that she was in at the time. And it was a grad program focused on performance and choreography. And I had always kind of thought grad school was a place where you go when you're done with your performance career. So that's kind of why I had hesitations. And Mm. Erin showed me that that didn't have to be the case. And she told me about how she was performing so much and learning so much and also getting to kind of grow her choreographic interests along with her performing interests. And so from then I really just took a leap and applied for two different grad programs that also had teaching fellowships. And I landed at Smith College. Which Smith is really known for its dance program, I feel. It is, yeah. Um, Chris Aiken and Angie Hauser are based oh there, which God. they're big, you know, or at least they're very well known, I think, throughout the dance community and have kind of a special touch with um, Minneapolis community. Yes, too. definitely. I danced yeah. with Chris. Oh, <laughs> did you? Yeah, long time oh my ago, goodness. obviously. Wow. wow. I didn't realize they were at Smith. I guess I've lost track of where Chris has been at, but 
That's yeah. incredible. Amazing. Well, and yeah. I have to say, like, it's it's surprising to hear kind of your comments about the University of Minnesota. And I was interested in knowing, like, how is it that you came upon the University of Minnesota dance program and just in seeking colleges? Um, <laughs> I So being from small town Iowa, I was like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm destined for the big city. And I was so determined to attend a dance program on one of the coasts. I visited places all over the East Coast and the West Coast. And it was when I was visiting a school on the East Coast, actually, that the director of admissions had said to me, you know, I'm from Minnesota and I've heard nothing but good things about the University of Minnesota's dance program. Have you looked there? Like you're from the Midwest. Have you considered that program? And I hadn't heard of it. I was like, no, I haven't, I haven't looked into this at all. I looked into it. I auditioned, I got in and I loved like the size of the city coming from such a small town. It felt like a good stepping stone. I wasn't super ready for New York or LA. And I also have um, some extended family that live in the twin cities. So it felt like a comfortable jump to take um, as far as living in a new place and yeah, then I, I landed here. Interesting. It's kind of similar to me. I feel like oh, really? the, the dream wise. Yeah. I was like, oh, Minneapolis is, I can do this city, but I definitely wanted to get out of a small town myself too, of Illinois for me, but um, okay, interesting. Well, very cool. And you had, uh, are there some teachers that stand out to you specifically making an impact there for you or I yeah, jazz I mean... kind of? Yeah, definitely at the University of Minnesota, um, Aaron Thompson feels like my biggest mentor. And I've, you know, had the pleasure of taking class from her nearly every semester there, which doesn't usually happen. You know, they try to kind of give everyone a taste of all of the the teachers across the board. But for some reason, with the levels I was placed in, I took from her nearly every semester, which was just such a treat. I feel like I got to really fully understand what she studies and teaches and the way that her body has just managed to move with such longevity. She, I mean, mm. she continues to be this incredible performer and um, that really intrigued me. Like there's something she's tapped into that I want to know more about. Um, and of course, taking from Ananya in my, I think it was my final semester there. Um, I took her class, she was teaching the the highest level of contemporary dance. And so we were studying her contemporary Indian technique and um, just to learn something so new to my body in kind of your final semester of college was extremely humbling. And I just, I learned so much um, that I think continues to influence me today, especially in regards to rhythm and articulating the body. Nice. And I think that is one of the beautiful things of dance really is that there's always so much to learn. Exactly. <laughs> you know, keeping that curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're one of, I feel like we're one of the only forms that, you know, religiously continues to take class and like train, like really train and be curious about how much we can continue to grow, which I think is something that I'm learning has really kept me with dance. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. I want everyone to do that <laughs> yeah. in the world, right? Yes, exactly. Can you share a little more about your experience with Xenon? It was three years you were there? It was three years. Yes. Um, 
I loved it. I mean, I feel so lucky to have had that experience. I loved the work. I loved the people. Um, and I, I really felt like I learned so much about performance. Like I, I had the opportunity to perform a lot when I was at the U of M, but I, this was performance on another level in this mm. professional realm. And I was, I mean, being mentored every day by these amazing dancers in the company that I was getting to dance next to, you know, Marianne Bradley and Leslie O'Neill and, and just like taking bits from them every day of like, wow, they have really figured that out and being constantly curious about their performance quality and approach um, along with, you know, all of the visiting artists that came through and getting to really expand my own perception of what is a creative process in dance because mm. all of them had such a unique approach and I just felt so lucky to kind of be thrown into that world and, and really challenged in a lot of ways um, that I'm not sure I would have learned those lessons. Uh, definitely not the same way had I ended up anywhere else. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I think getting to be a part of uh, the beginning process of things as well, like were there specific pieces or choreographers that stand out to you in that way? That yeah. I mean, there are, Gosh, there are so many. And, you know, I was only there for three years. I cannot imagine the people who were there so much longer than me, how they even like keep track of all the choreographers they got to work with. But um, actually, the very first choreographer on my first day with Xenon um, was Gregory Delbashian, mm. which was a really funny circumstance because I had actually worked with him in college at the U of M. And so me walking into the room on the first day, I was the only one who had previously worked with this fresh face in the Xenon world, which was kind of funny. And also just like a really um, kind of comforting place to start. Yeah. I was familiar with his movement. And also Michelle Boulay, she was just a fantastic human to get to experience in a really rich three-week process. Um she just has this like full person approach with so much care and consideration for the artists um, in what she does and the way that she kind of ignites improvisation really brought things out of me that I hadn't previously known, which mm. I find happened with a lot of visiting artists at Xenon, um, being that a good chunk of the work we also improvised in. And I feel like that's just like so unique when a teacher or choreographer or director can pull something out of you that you didn't know you had um, is really exciting, really exciting to me. Yeah, um, it's like keeping all those surprises like, whoa, what yeah. I can do. I, I didn't realize that. That's so <laughs> totally. <great. laughs> um, and the last the last choreographer that, of course, sits with me is Sam Kim. She, I think, was potentially our final creative process that we did in that final year. And, um, she is just like a force to be reckoned with and the way that she can bring her kind of visual images and dreams to life in the body is, was just really inspiring to me. And I actually had the opportunity to work with her again after Xenon ended. I spent a month in New York with her in the fall of 2019 and I helped her was her kind of her studio research assistant as she actually built a solo for herself, but she had set the solo mostly on me and then kind of translated it back to her body for the performances. 
which then I kind of became like this outside eye um, and a kind of a production assistant to the whole operation. So that was a really, really neat experience that came from a Xenon connection. Yes. Oh, that's so fascinating. I'm interested in understanding where Slow Dance Company, the name comes from for you. Yeah. Um, well, the L-O in slow is significant of my initials, L-O, and the slow does really translate to S-L-O-W as in slowness. Um, and I have to credit my dear friend, Emma. I think she was a big portion of coming up with that S-L-O kind of play on words um, for the name. But this, I had, when I was dreaming up, like having my own dance company and making work, um, I wrestled a lot with why my creative voice was a value, like why I should take space with my creative voice as a middle-class white woman. And I was reading this book called In Praise of Slowness by Carl Henri. And it was in a time when I was working for Xenon. I was actually, I think in my first year as an unpaid apprentice and I was working like seven part-time jobs to make a livable wage. Mm. <laughs> and I was, I remember the exact moment I was sitting at one of my retail jobs behind the counter. No one was in the shop and I was reading this book and I had just this epiphany, like slowness as a philosophy of living is something that I feel like I'm supposed to share. Like, I think I'm supposed to share that in dance. And there's slowness is familiar to some people because of slow food or slow fashion, you know, these approaches to life and um, how we consume things in a way that's trying to be ethical and sustainable in each step of the process. And so I, in Slow Dance Company, am curious about uh the slowness of that process of dance making and how that can influence um, what we're doing from a full body, full human approach. And this idea of like slowing down that I needed so desperately at that time in my life when I was working so many jobs and I could like hardly even answer the question, like, how are you doing? <laughs> so uh -huh. I just it was so ungrounded. I didn't know what I was feeling or where I was. And so I just feel really drawn to offering slowness and sharing slowness through dance to kind of bring people back down to earth and to really think about everything they're doing and not getting so wrapped up in this crazy speed of capitalism that we're surrounded by and pushed by to our limits every single day. And I feel like dance already does that. And so I'm just like really curious about putting this lens of slowness on every process, on every performance and how we can share that and translate that to encourage it in other people. Yeah. Nice. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the performance you're seeing is slow. Correct. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, <laughs> I have to explain that often as a grad school student, <laughs> you'd be surprised how many times I feel like I've explained that to the faculty. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean slow in speed, although that, you know, is definitely a part of the research. Um, but it doesn't always translate to that. It's my friends kind of laugh. My other dance friends kind of laugh because they don't know me to be a slow dancer by any means. Um, yeah. 
but it's, it's really about the approach, having slowness and intention of where you're placing your attention kind of in the approach to movement. Okay. Nice. So what interests you in making work? What, I mean, you kind of mentioned it quite a bit with the slow approach. Is there, yeah. what inspires you? Like, how is it you like, Oh, I need to do this. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm super passionate about, about sharing slowness, as I said, um, but I'm, I'm really inspired by relationships in performance, our relationship to space, sound, each other, um, and kind of how when we zoom in on those things, like really drawing attention to accents and music, I feel like I'm a very like musically based creator um, and musicality and how musicality kind of stretches and messes with our perception of time and zooming in on intimate relationships between two bodies who are making choices in real time that can also really kind of reclaim our institutionalized perception of time that just like recognizes our humanness. I'm so curious about just like really feeling the humanness of performers when I see them Mm -hmm. in dance and any sort of other performance art and what happens when we like really slow down enough to listen to what's happening within ourselves and also within each other and then more as on a grander scale in a full performance space and that slowing down just feels like so radical often in our like western capitalism society that we live in and so i'm really curious about yeah kind of just redefining that perception of time and what there is to learn when we do really slow down and slowness to me in an embodied space just feels like a really clear way in as we like really come into relationship with our own moving bodies. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to hone in this slow practice that I've been developing, which is the approach that I have in every teaching space and creative space and performance space. Um, And after that, like after this, you know, we kind of dive in with this slow channel. Um, I just am so intrigued by what comes from there and it's totally open and and who knows what is going to come, which is what's really exciting to me. Um, It's, it's open-ended and, and it teaches me, I think every time. And I, I do believe that it can teach other people too. Nice. I agree. And I like that a lot. I, I feel personally as a human and as a, a mover myself, I, I'm always like, okay, breathe, Matthew, like right. take your time with this. And I feel like it's a consistent thing to be working toward. <laughs> totally. It takes, it. it, it really does take work and like really intentional attention. Cause it, it's just so easy to get swooped up into the rush of everything that's around you. And, and it's, you know, what we're surrounded by that has placed this really specific value on our time. And so that's why I think slowness is kind of this magical idea of kind of giving us back time in a radical way that we can redefine what it is and how we use it in a way that feels of value to us. Yeah. So what are you making for 
for the showing for Candy Box this year? Um, that's an excellent question. <laughs> uh, so I have, I do have a really clear idea. Um, and we started, you know, last spring, we started getting ready for what we thought was going to be that Candy Box of 2020. So yeah. I'm, I'm sticking with that same idea, same cast, same um, accompanist. And the, the working title of the piece is Seven Duets. And so it is seven dancers that span a few generations. And it's really just my excuse to bring together some of my favorite female dancers in the Twin Cities <laughs> into one mm -hmm. space. I feel so lucky that all of these people agreed to um, work with me. And what we're really kind of exploring is these seven women just holding space for each other to be really human and honest and present and of course, with playing with slowness and listening. And we also have a live accompanist who will be improvising, um, Patrick Marshke. He plays uh, percussion and then also does a lot of like electronic looping and whatnot. And so I'm kind of opening up this kind of conversation space for movement where um, we're considering kind of all the duets that we are engaged in in any given moment. So is it a duet with the space? Is it a duet with the ensemble? Is it a duet with the sound? Is it a duet with the audience? So um, I'm letting that kind of guide what happens in these seven duets. And um, it's mostly improvised. So we actually were doing kind of a fast and furious, you know, uh, <laughs> in opposition to slow, but we will be intentional when we're together. But it is just a two week rehearsal process that we have of kind of these <clears throat> excuse me, intensive rehearsals leading up to the performance. So we haven't even started yet, <laughs> but wow. I promise you it will be, it will be ready to go, you know, but it's a work in progress. Like you said. Yes. Yes. And I'm not worried in the least. <laughs> so, well, very cool. And can you name the seven dancers? I can. Um, let's see. I've typed their names today, so I can probably do it in alphabetical <laughs> order. Noel Awadala. Amelia Bruno, um, Emma Marler, Alexandra Eady, Leslie O'Neill, Jamie Ryan Carls, and Sarah Steichen Styles. Oh my gosh. Amazing. I know. Just like killer cast, right? Yeah. So Amelia's coming to town for this then? Or? She is. She's coming back. Ah, and we're so excited. So great to see her. And so many of them are incredible, incredible yes. performers. Yeah. Wow. Well, everyone must see this. <laughs> I hope so. Right. Well, so great to chat with you, Laura. And it's I'm really excited about all you're doing and kind of investigating and looking at, um, again, just with the, you know, for me and my work, just to speak to you personally, I'm yeah. always interested in that honesty as well and that humanness. So I, I feel like maybe that's why I connect with your material and what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. So, thank you so much for joining us for Studio Stories today. Yes, thank you for having me on. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we talk with Judith Holo Shui Xian, an interdisciplinary choreographer, improviser, and sound artist. Also a 2021 Candy Box featured artist.